Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 27th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me in today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Squatran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, you know, we have so much news to get to that we, we required more guests than usual on this podcast. We haven't done a, a news episode in a week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So we have, we have a lot of stories to get to. We're going to try to get to them uh, maybe in record time. Uh, but let's start first and briefly with a, a trio of deaths uh, that happened over the last few days uh, in Hollywood. Um, I, I know that, like, it always seems to me that deaths happen, like, big deaths happen in threes. And I, I understand, I fully understand that us as human beings, like, tend to see things in threes, like, beginning, middle, and ends, and, like, group things just naturally, like, our brains work that way. But, uh, Ben, do they always happen in threes? um i don't i think it's always like you're saying we just find it we find a way to make it be in threes like people maybe don't uh maybe aren't all in the same tier but we put them in the same tier because it it rounds out that three number that we are always looking for i don't know it's so strange like when one hits i'm always like waiting for the other two but uh, anyways let's get to the to the names here uh ricky j who is a famed character actor and a master magician died at age 72 um you might know him for his appearances in the prestige mystery men boogie nights uh he provided the wonderful narration in uh magnolia and uh the ryan johnson movie uh, brothers bloom uh and um he uh you know he got his start as a magician who uh became a consultant on movies he uh he was responsible for uh helping bring uh uh lieutenant dan's legs uh enforced gump to life or to you know to not be there uh you know he was involved in a, in a ton of uh films including sneakers heist oceans 13 the illusionist 
the prestige uh he did a he did a a number of one-man shows on broadway one of which i think at least one of which that david mamet directed and i think that's how he kind of got his start in hollywood uh he there is a documentary i think it might be on netflix uh, that you can watch about. It's called Deceptive Practice, The Mysteries and Mentors of Ricky J. I, I, I mentioned it on a water cooler episode a few weeks back, uh, and uh, you can check that out. That's about the life of Ricky J. And uh, it's interestingly told in, in from the perspective of the mentors that he had throughout his life, which is actually a pretty interesting uh, conceit. Um Let's move on to the next one, and that is Bernardo Bertolucci. Uh, HT, tell us about it. Yeah, so Oscar-winning director Bernardo Bertolucci uh, has passed away at the age of 77 after a long battle with cancer uh, in Rome, in his home country of Italy. So the Italian auteur is probably best known for his nine-time Oscar-winning masterpiece, The Last Emperor, and also with the uh, sort of lightning rod of controversy surrounding Last Tango in Paris. So he is an Italian filmmaker, best known for films such as The Conformist, for the Revolution, uh, both of which were the, the politically driven features from 1964 and 1970 that uh, took off, that kicked off his career, and um, he later film he later uh, directed Last Tango in Paris in 1972, which became sort of a lightning rod of controversy. Uh, that's the erotic drama starring Marlon Brando and Maria Schneider. Uh, more recently, Maria, Maria Schneider had an interview that um, revealed had some revelations about the way that the in- the film's infamous butter scene was was filmed, um, and it was Berlucci's name was kind of uh, drawn back into that. But he is an undeniably uh, huge contributor and key figure to the Italian and world cinema stage. Yes, and uh, lastly, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants has died at age fifty-seven. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, Steven Hillenberg, who uh, created SpongeBob, and he actually was a marine biology professor himself, uh, or a teacher anyway, back in the day, uh, before he sort of uh, got inspired to use these characters as sort of teaching aids, and then eventually uh, roll that into an animated series all his own, uh, has died at age 57. He died after a battle with ALS, which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. If you guys remember the ice bucket challenge a few years ago, that's the disease that uh, was um, being, you know, that that ice bucket challenge was raising awareness and and money for fighting that disease. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's sad news. Fifty seven is obviously too young to go for somebody, um, you know, for any anybody really, but uh, especially for somebody who has created something that has been such a bright spot in so many people's lives. Yeah, I, I was a fan of Ricky Jay growing up as a kid. I got to see him on the stage, and I think I, I most remember him being able to throw cards into a watermelon. Uh, later, in you know, I, I got to like actually love his magic and uh, fell in love with uh, you know Magnolia is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it was actually interesting in in the last couple of years going back and rediscovering Ricky Jay and then like. It's it's one of those things where you hear you've heard this voice like from Magnolia. Like I've watched Magnolia so many times, and now watching him do magic tricks with that voice, it's just so weird. Even though I I kind of knew him before that, uh, I I don't know why, but I watched The Last Emperor as a kid like so much. Maybe it was like it was playing on HBO. It was like one of those prestige films, and I was like, you know, I I should like that. You know, this is great cinema, and I I never. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've watched it as an adult, so I want I want to go revisit it. And I was too old 
Uh, I think for SpongeBob SquarePants, I was a little bit too old for that. Uh, HD, you you were a little bit younger, but uh, but you did not watch SpongeBob. Yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants was my generation, but uh, growing up without cable, I never really watched it. I had. For some reason, I had the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which I don't really know why, but I I saw that. But a lot of my friends grew up watching it, and they kind of speak in a language uh, that consists of SpongeBob SquarePants memes <laughs> and or references. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. Um, do, do either Chris or Ben have any memories of uh, these three individuals? Uh, I mean, I, I loved Ricky Jay's just everything I, I've watched, you know, uh, specials with him. And, you know, I, I was always a fan of his movie work. He's really great in this movie called heist, which is a David Mamet movie. And David Mamet used him a lot in almost all of his films. And that film gives him like, I think like the biggest role in any of Mamet's films. And he's just so good in that. And he was, he was a great actor. I'm, I'm sad to see him go. Yesterday at the water cooler, I gave my early reaction to Aquaman, and uh, the early buzz hit shortly after we recorded that podcast. So, Ben, what do what do people think of this movie? Uh, am I in the majority? Uh, I think you were probably a little bit more measured than the majority of people. And this is very, very shocking to me because everybody seems to love Aquaman. And I, I don't know, I mean, I, I guess... I just thought some of those early trailers were kind of iffy and it seemed like the movie as a whole got a little bit of a mixed response out of like Comic-Con when it was there earlier this year. But uh, after all of these uh, these reactions have hit the web, it, it seems like there I mean, nobody has anything outright negative to say about it, which I, I'm very surprised by. And in fact, most people, a, a huge majority are really, really digging this movie. There's a lot of descriptions about how it's a big, fun, wild ride. It's it's like very out there and um, people are talking about how it sort of embraces its like 1980s fantasy kind of roots. And there are people who are th- calling it the most ambitious DC movie to date, a sprawling visual spectacle. I mean, they're, they're the... Uh, it's like a cartoon come to life, like campy, fun, bonkers of, you know, the, yeah, it's, I mean, there are a lot of words here. Uh, it sounds like you're just in disbelief. I am. I'm, I'm completely, the, the one of my favorite ones I think is, uh, uh, Andrew Dice said, imagine 1980s Schwarzenegger starring in Hideo Kojima's avatar and you're most of the way there. And I'm just like that description just sort of blew my mind. So I, I don't know. I, I am totally shocked based on what I've seen of the marketing from this movie that everybody seems to really love it. But I am guessing, um, Peter, the, the, uh, the humor and the charisma of Jason Momoa and the technical craft of uh, director James Wan sort of uh, produced something, uh, some, you know, somehow came to a result that uh, ended up being pleasing for everybody. Yeah, I think it's going to be a crowd pleaser. I don't think it's like a, you know, grand slam or anything, but uh, but I think I think most people are going to go into it and, and come out with a smile. So uh, that, that, that's more than could be said with Batman versus Superman or Justice League. Uh, so uh, let's move on to another story that went viral this past week uh, from us because there was a study done looking at audience what audiences would like to see uh, what franchises audiences would like to see made another installment and uh, Back to the Future topped that list. HD, tell us about it. 
Yeah, so the Hollywood Reporter conducted a poll with the Morning Consult that found the franchises that audiences most wanted to see another installment of. Uh, Of the 2,201 adults surveyed earlier this month, a whopping 71% said they would want to see another Back to the Future film, uh, followed closely by Pixar's Toy Story, Lucasfilm's Indiana Jones, and Universal's Jurassic Park. Uh, The latter three are movies that we've seen installments of already and have ongoing sequels such as Toy Story 4 and the Jurassic World franchise which is still doing really well um, worldwide but uh, Back to the Future is the one of the um, the only franchise in the top four here that has not had a movie since Back to the Future 3 and uh, it's been like a good 20 30 years since we've last seen a Back to the Future movie so um, it seems that uh, audiences though want to go back I can't think of a pun. Sorry. Back to <laughs> back to back to the future. Yeah, I uh, back to the future is my favorite movie of all time, and I don't want to see it. I don't want to see a sequel. I don't want to see a reboot. I don't want to see uh, you know any of those things. And I know the creators, uh, screenwriter Bob Gale and director Robert Zemeckis, have both said that while they are alive, it is not going to happen. Um, but you know, we've seen Hollywood uh, change their mind on th- th- things qu- quite a bit in the past. So I'm wondering, what do you guys think? Do you think uh, do you think a sequel or a legacy sequel or reboot of Back to the Future would be could it could could it be good? No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I definitely yeah. don't think it could capture the magic of the original yeah. film and like how tight and well done it is. I don't think even the sequels did that much either. The first one is still the best. Second one, I don't. I'm not, I hope I'm not like offending you or anything, Peter. The second one is enjoyable, but it kind of falls apart in like the the uh, back half or so. It's I don't know. I, I well, love the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder with the. Uh, however this study was conducted if the if there was some wording or phrasing in there where it was like assuming that everybody was you know at the top of their game still yeah. would you want to see this because like i, well, I don't yeah, know that, 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 that's another thing michael j fox is you know suffering from parkinson's disease and uh even though while he's still acting uh he is it, it is apparent Right. Like uh, right. he is shaking and stuff like w- would we like to see that Marty McFly him reprise the role as Marty McFly? I I don't know. I mean, I, I think we've seen especially in like 2015 when the anniversaries were coming around, you know, he and uh, and um, Christopher Lloyd reunited a couple times in public and you yeah, know, Jimmy like Kimmel, small I think. things. Didn't yeah. they yeah, do like exactly. a little commercial or something and they dressed up in the old outfits? I think so. Yeah. And so like those little things, I think, was as much as I would want to see of them in those roles again at this age and in those conditions. It's just I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine an entire movie with those people reprising those roles. And I don't want to see anybody else step into those roles either because they're, they so, um, you know, they're so associated with those particular actors. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they could use like this. um... Okay. I, I, I think the most interesting idea for doing another back to the future movie. Not that I want to see one happen, but I'm playing devil's advocate on my own feelings here. Uh, Is that it has been 30 years since the original Back to the Future. So going back in time 30 years would bring you to 1980, 
you know, 88, I guess. But, you know, 1985, uh, when the original Back to the Future was set. So I, I think that's the most interesting thing is we'd be going back to the 80s. So now my question to you, Ben, is now that we have this technology, this de-aging technology that oh, we've no. seen in the Marvel you know, movies and stuff like that. Maybe this could be, you know, Marty's son going back in time to, or, uh, you know, to fix something with his father in the 1980s. Like, am I just spitballing into oblivion here? Like, what? Is... <laughs> I mean, the idea that you're having, I'm sure, has been had by somebody in some <laughs> corporate boardroom somewhere. I just am not convinced that the creative touch is going to be there. I mean, even if Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis were behind it, I I don't think I would want it because Robert Zemeckis, I mean, I I like the guy, but it's like the the past few movies that he's made have not exactly been, it it just seems like he's losing touch more and more as time goes on. Like, have you seen the trailers for welcome to Marwin? I don't know. I'm just, I, I have, I think I'm, I'm, but he has become obsessed with technology in this performance capture uh you know de-aging stuff i think that could appeal to him in a way i know that's what i'm scared about i think you're absolutely <laughs> right it 100 percent would appeal to him but i just i hope that he's not looking at this and and thinking about changing his mind because i feel like it would probably be a bad idea there there's a series of back to the future comic books out there that are written by bob gale or, or at least based on stories by bob gale and I've read all of them, and they're okay at best. So I, I, I kind of do not want to see as much as I don't know. I'm such an optimist. I'm such like you know maybe they could make something good, but I, I I'm just thinking that it would be something subpar, and it would be something that would uh, tarnish the legacy of this franchise I love so much. Um, what uh, I, I'm wondering, I hate to put you guys on the spot. But what franchise that they haven't had a sequel in years, would you be interested in seeing like a follow-up in some way? Either a reboot, a sequel, a legacy sequel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, ben, do you have any, any pitches for us? Oh, God. Uh, you're definitely putting me on the spot here. <laughs> um, um, I'm like racking my brain right now trying to fly through something. Uh, come back to me. Let me, let me think about it. HT. How about you? <laughs> well, I've still been waiting for them to finish Chronicles of Narnia, which they're <laughs> well, they are I, rebooting, right? They're rebooting it, but I wanted to see the next one with the original cast, and I was it was the it was going to be the sixth book, the Magician's no, not the Magician, the Silver Chair, yeah. the adaptation of the Silver Chair, which would have been like one of the darker um, novels that is in that franchise. So I was interested to see how that would play out, but you know, now they're rebooting it and I won't get to see it maybe ever. Chris, how about you? Uh, the, the dark universe, baby, bring it back. <laughs> I don't have enough of it. I want more adventures of Tom Cruise as the mummy. Let's do it. Come on. I'm actually surprised that you don't have like, um, like nightmare on Elm street. I know we've talked about that in the past. I feel like, I, but, I mean, we got a reboot a couple of years ago, and that kind of stunk. Yeah, it was really bad. So I, yeah. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, what? Mas- Master and Commander is one that I was just thinking of. That I really liked that movie at the time, and I feel like there's there's a lot of room to bring those characters back. And also, um, one that just came to mind as I was speaking was um, Devil in a Blue Dress, which is the Easy Rollins character that Denzel Washington played in that movie. It's like this. Uh, 
he's obviously a black character, but he's he's like a, a detective. It's like a noir story. And that that was I think that movie came out. Carl Franklin directed it. I think it came out in the 90s. And it was like one of Don Cheadle's early roles. And um it really sort of put him on the map. And that's that was one of those things that's based on, I think, a series of books or or some sort of existing IP. And it just the movie didn't do well enough to earn a sequel. But I think it deserves it. It's it's such a cool idea of uh, flipping a lot of those noir tropes on their head and telling those that type of story from a different perspective. I would love to see those characters or those actors uh, reprise those roles in a different movie. I have two pitches for you guys, but neither of them are actually franchises. I guess I'm just suggesting sequels to indie films that exist in this world. Uh, first is Richard Linkletter's Boyhood. I would love to see Manhood or Woman. I don't know. Boy, I guess that's the. I guess the title's troublesome anyway. Adulthood. Yeah, adulthood. Uh, but go. with these characters, you know, going into you know, filmed over many, many years, going into their adult years, I feel like I, I would kind of enjoy that in the same way that he has kind of come back to the uh, the before trilogy. And I would also one of my favorite movies of all time is Almost Famous. I would love to see Cameron Crowe go back and do kind of the next chapter of that since that was based on his childhood and how he kind of got into movies like I feel like there could be something interesting personal for him to say there but uh and I I think it wouldn't tarnish almost famous in any way if he did kind of like a uh a spiritual successful yeah (laughs) yeah um Okay, anyways, we've probably spent too much time on this. Um, let's move on to Netflix, who is adapting Ronald Dahl's uh, uh, books, uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Matilda, and more into animated an animated event series. Chris, what is going on here? Uh, yeah, so Netflix just bought the rights to all these Roald Dahl books and, uh, you know, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Matilda, the BFG, uh, the Twits, all these books, and... Even though most of these have already been adapted for the screen, Netflix is planning new animated adaptations. They're calling them event series, which makes it sound like they're going to be TV shows. And uh, they're, they're billing them as reimagining. So it's not going to be a straight adaptation. It's going to be more of a, a reinterpretation, I guess, or more a reboot, if you will. So I guess we have that to look forward to. It'll be interesting because, like I said, so many of these, especially Charlie the Chocolate Factory, have adaptations. I mean that that is two classic. Yeah. So it, the you know I feel like for Netflix to pull this off, they really have to make these stand out and be unique. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to be the same old, same old. So we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. So do you think these are just going to be like one season adaptations of those books, or do you think? They could be doing uh, like a Castle Rock with this and creating a doll cinematic universe of sorts. Well, they do say in the press release they're going to expand the stories too. So I, I could actually see them adding more. And yeah, maybe they are all going to cross over eventually. I don't know. That would be very ambitious, but I, uh, I could see it happening. Matilda goes to the chocolate factory and the BFG is running in the background. Yeah, he's <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk more Netflix. They are have ordered a bunch of anime, including Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, I don't know anything about this anime series. HD, I know you are our resident anime expert and fanatic. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, so Neon Genesis Evangelion is making its global streaming debut on Netflix. This is a huge get for the streaming service. Uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion is a widely acclaimed, hugely influential uh, anime series from the 90s that uh, you see its shades and influences of it throughout all anime series today and even in uh, live action film. But it has it's very hard to, to find um, because of rights issues. Uh, the DVD uh, copies have been uh, extremely hard to get and also uh, almost impossible for people in stateside. And it hasn't been officially on a streaming service until now. So it's coming in spring 2019, which will be the most successful it's ever been. And um, it'll be all 26 episodes of the original Neon Genesis Evangelion series, as well as the two feature films, the end of Evangelion, Evangelion Death, True 2. So the series um, is a uh, mecha anime in a sense that follows an elite team of teenagers who are hand-selected to pilot EVAs, which are giant robot mechs designed to repel invading monsters. It sounds like the long lines of, of most mecha animes, but this is a deeply philosophical, philosophical deeply weird anime that uh, is kind of made by uh, creator uh, Hideki, Hideki Anno as a sort of way to work through his depression and through Japanese pop culture tropes. It's very good. It's very strange. It's a little depressing. I will admit I haven't seen the entire thing just because when I first watched it, it made me very sad and um, depressed and I just couldn't finish it. But it is a very important anime and I need to, and I'm happy that I can finally get around to watching the entire thing. Uh, so it is one of the lineup of Netflix's uh, 2019 anime lineup, um, which includes original series like Rila Kuma and Karu, Saint Seiya, Nice of the Zodiac, and Ultraman, which uh, the, la the last one is based off of a very popular um, character who has been around in, in Japanese pop culture since the 60s. But this will be the newest animated series centered around the crime-fighting tokusatsu hero. So, But the biggest get here is definitely Neon Genesis Evangelion, and it's um, a soon wide stream availability on the streaming service. Oh, actually, before I finish, I do want to point out, if you are curious about Neon Genesis Evangelion and you don't really know what it's about, uh, Aaron Stewart on has a really great thread on Twitter speaking about everything that went into that series, why it was so envelope pushing and bold, and just how um, seminal it was as an anime series. I can link that in the show notes. Very cool. Um, you know, HT, you know the kind of taste of us on Slash Film. So I'm wondering, who would you recommend, like, out of this group or even, you know, Jacob and and Brad, uh, who would you recommend this anime series to? Well, Jacob has already seen it, and he loved it. It's the anime series that turned him around yeah. to anime as a medium, and he said it's one of the best things he's seen. Don't quote me on that, but he... He, he said something along those lines. Um, so I would probably recommend this to Chris, even though I know he doesn't really like watching things as of now, like TV series <laughs> that are very depressing and hard to watch because it reminds him too much of the real world. Yeah. Uh, but I think Neon Genesis Evangelion is just so powerful and really speaks to those um, the shades of like depression and, psych and philosophy that I think – 
Chris would appreciate it. I think Ben would too. Um, I'm not sure about you, Peter, because it's it is an action series, and it's, I like it's action. Quite enjoyable. I like sci-fi. Yeah. I... yeah, but it's like um, it's not a typical action sci-fi series mm. is what I'm saying. It's a lot more brooding and moody, and I'm not really sure if that's quite your thing. Yeah, that's probably not my thing. Uh, yeah, I'll, and the main character is quite grating for a little bit because it's still, a lot of the series is just trying to get, is everyone's just trying to get him into the the Eva, and he just, he won't do it because he's just, you know, kind of a depressed, terrible person. Yeah, not terrible because he's depressed, but he's a terrible person in general. He, he needs to just do it already. And yes. uh, <laughs> okay, let's move on to uh, the Gotham Awards. Uh, the 2018 winners have been announced. Uh, ben, tell us who has won and what does this mean for award season? Yeah, so the writer came away with the best feature uh, award there. And I'm not entirely convinced that that one is going to be uh, a movie that sticks around throughout the rest of this award season. But there are several others that uh, are other winners from the Gotham Awards that I feel like probably will be in full Oscar discussions as we uh, really kick off the award season here. So uh, Ethan Hawke won Best Actor for First Performed. I know HT is probably thrilled about that. Uh, Tony Collette won Best Actress for Hereditary. Elsie Fisher won Best Breakthrough Actor for her role in Eighth Grade. And Bo Burnham also won uh, for Eighth Grade. He won the uh, Breakthrough Director Award. And uh, Best Screenplay went to Paul Schrader for First Reformed. And uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary, ended up winning the Audience Award there. So I think of those, um, Paul Schrader's First Reformed screenplay is probably going to be in the conversation, if not win, because that's a, a tremendous screenplay uh, from, from that film. And I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering what this might mean for eighth grade. That's like, a, you know, a, that's a pretty decent showing for Bo Burnham's first movie, and I wonder if he could be actually in the conversation for both writing and directing. But I mean, there there are a ton of really great movies um, that, especially in the independent sphere, which is where the the Gotham Awards sort of uh, narrow their focus. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of really good stuff here. I, I mean, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke beat out like Lakeith Stanfield and Sorry to Bother You and Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me and and uh, you know people like Bo Burnham for the director beat out. Uh, Ari Aster for Hereditary and Jennifer Fox for The Tale. I mean, there's like a, there's so much talent this year um, in these categories in these small independent world. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering what you guys think. Do you think these are the uh, the forebears for for what are, are eventually going to become Oscar winners, or do you think there are some different options in the in on the table here? I hope so. I think eighth grade, unfortunately, has has been a little overlooked in the conversation, and it's such a good movie. And I'm I would really be happy if it were included in more of the uh, awards buzz. And yes, you're right. I am very happy about Ethan Hawke. He was phenomenal in First Reformed. Um, but yeah, Bo Burnham did great with eighth grade, and I just want to see more just knowledge of its spread. Yeah, I I hope eighth grade gets some some more love this award season. I'm kind of wondering, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Do you think that documentary might not be as serious enough for like, you know, the, the Academy Awards to consider it like for I mean, obviously, it'll probably be nominated. But like, I feel like they tend to go for more like world issues and like, you know, uh, 
I'm not a documentary expert, but my reading on the Oscars over the past few years has been they tend to go for more of those worldly issues in the like documentary short categories and more crowd pleaser stuff in the main documentary category. Like I remember a few years ago, I think it was 20 feet from stardom one up against like uh, the act of killing or like one of those movies that was like super serious. And yeah. it just seemed like, you know, the more populist choice won out. So I, I wonder if the new configuration of the Oscar voters is going to flip that a little bit. But um, in terms of like, you know, going by the numbers and by recent history, I would say that Won't You Be My Neighbor has a pretty good chance to take that one home. Uh, Something that hit while we were gone last week was the trailer for Disney's The Lion King. Uh, Peter, let me me interrupt you for a second. I just there's some breaking news here that I feel like we should probably talk about. Uh, Sony has decided that they are making a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is the animated movie that's coming out next month. And not only that, they are also making an all female spinoff with the characters that appear in that movie. So uh, I'm reading this from The Hollywood Reporter right now. Uh, Joaquim Dos Santos, who directed Avatar The Last Airbender on Nickelodeon, uh, and he also directed the Voltron series for Netflix, is going to be directing the sequel. And then there is going to be, like I said, a a female-centric Spider-Verse movie uh, with characters Probably like uh, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, Madam Web, Spider-Girl, Silk, things like that. Uh, And that one is going to be directed by Lauren Montgomery, who also worked on Voltron and who has credits on Batman Year One and the Superman Batman Apocalypse for DC. Uh, Beck Smith, who wrote episodes of the CBS show Zoo, is going to write the script. Amy Pascal, who has produced a bunch of the Spider-Man movies, uh, is producing, and it looks like Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who came up with the concept for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, are going to be uh, involved in some capacity, though they don't know if that's just like an overseeing position or if they're actually going to write any of this, uh, any of the scripts for these films. HT, you must be excited because the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, director is being involved. Yeah, these are all names that I'm just I'm very excited for. So I, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. I think it's one of the best, if not the best animated uh, series this in this past few decades, at least. And uh, all the the alums from that series have done great. Voltron is also really good on Netflix. And I just can't wait to see what they do with this. I'm, I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse yet. I'm so pumped to see it. Um, but I am really excited to see all the the female characters from that in their own spinoff. Spider-Gwen especially, because, yeah, I even though I haven't read a lot of her comics, she has a kind of close place in my heart because it was a, it's such a fun reversal to have a character who was previously fridged into her own, um, you know, sp- superhero. And Spider Woman is also great. Um, Silk is a Korean um, character and one of the few a- Asian characters um, in like the Marvel comics, and I'm so excited to see her as well. Uh, it's just going to be great. I'm I'm very happy about this. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to keep the same animation style as Into the Spider-Verse, because that just looks incredible from what we've seen so far. Well, it's interesting, too, because in that movie, as you see in the trailers, uh, every one of those characters, except for Spider-Gwen, I guess, kind of shares the kind of similar universe as uh, Miles Morales. Every one of them have kind of their own unique style, like... you know, uh, what is Nicolas Cage's character? The uh, like noir Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, noir he's like all black and white. And like, so I'm wondering if they're gonna be their own like style in their own universes. Uh, I have seen this movie. My hands are still shackled, and I'm 
unable to tell you my thoughts on it, even though I wish I could, uh, which you could probably read between the lines. Uh, but uh, this is ve- I can't tell you what I think of this news. And this is very exciting news. I'm, I'm so excited to see uh, what they do with this animated Spider-Verse. Like it's uh, I, you know, I, I would have thought. Ben, if you had asked me, yeah, I'm going to phrase this in a way I can legally. <laughs> if you had asked me a couple months ago if I was excited about what Sony was doing with Spider-Man outside of Disney and Marvel Studios, I would have told you no. Uh, but I'm so excited for this now. I can say that. <laughs> but, there we um, go. Yeah. So uh, I, th- I, I think I got away with not breaking in NDAs there. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay, let's get back to the SWAT team is about to crash through your windows as you yeah, speak. Hopefully this uh, podcast episode yeah. will stay up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Lion King because the uh, the trailer came out last week. This is the, the animated, I mean, the live action but fully animated uh, retelling of the Disney animated classic. And... Um, I just want to go around the, around the table really quick and hear what you guys thought of this trailer, starting with HT. Um, I... <laughs> wow, that's a very crisp response. Yeah, you're stealing my bit. <laughs> I know. My, so I'll do the sigh. I just... I don't... I After seeing Beauty and the Beast and its shot-for-shot remake of this far superior animated film and seeing this... Um, trailer, you know, t- tease so many iconic shots. I have a fear that it will be exactly the same. And I think that doing a shot for shot remake of an animated film is very unnecessary and very just lazy. And But I have hope I, the cast is great. I don't really see the point in doing like you know, the CGI film that's not even motion capture in with a remake of an animated well, film it but... is motion capture in a oh, way it is isn't it in... no i don't no? think it is is it no i think um i think andy circus's uh mowgli like that jungle book thing was motion capture but i don't think this lion king is uh, you know has the actors in suits like doing the full uh <laughs> crawling around on the ground kind of thing so i'm confused yeah. at how this is even a live action production at all then I think they've stopped calling it a live action production. They're just calling it a remake in general. Yeah, I can talk about that, Peter, but only when uh, because I was on the set, but I can't talk about it yet. So in 2019, I'll be able to tell you all about it. So there's a tease for that. Yeah, as as, as a person who's a huge fan of Disney, I am feeling more and more sort of... um, reluctant with their live action quote unquote remakes uh, especially after being so disappointed with beauty and the beast so this is a, a very obviously obvious ploy out of nostalgia and i remain cautiously you know intrigued but not quite excited see i i share your sentiment over beauty and the beast i really did not like that movie but i did like jungle book and i do like john favreau and this looks I know it's unnecessary. Uh, like I, we don't know what they're doing with it. If it is shot by shot remake, it is kind of unnecessary, but it looks so good. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty. <laughs> ben, what do you think? Um, 
I better sit this one out because I don't want anybody <laughs> to uh, to assume that I'm you know breaking any NDAs or anything. But uh, it does look really nice, so I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. But uh, Chris, I'm fascinated. What, what do you think about this one? I mean, I, I, the cast is really impressive, but it seems very unnecessary. I mean, I don't want to besmirch anyone who is excited about this because it seems like a lot of people are excited about it, and that's fine. But I remember. Like when after this broke, people started doing this thing where they they edited the original Lion King footage side by side with this, and I don't know. Just watching that, I was like, boy, I prefer the original footage because you know it's colorful, it's stylish, like everything in. But but we we are older, Chris. Like if you show two D like hand drawn animated to anybody under the age of probably like fifteen. They, I they, reject that sentiment, Peter. I don't know. There's like studies out. Like they, people think that it looks bad if it's 2D animated now. Like it's, I mean, I, I'm specifically talking about like the color because yeah. like everything in the Fabro one is like this muddy brown, and uh, I, all movies today have that this really drab color scheme. That it's it's all because they're all color corrected the same way, and it drives me nuts. Like just give me something. That looks interesting. I don't know watching it. Looks like you the know. sunset looks beautiful. I will. I will say not to like keep talking about yeah. Lion King, but uh, one of the benefits of hand drawn animation is that you have so much more capacity for all the rich facial expressions in a character. You can't really do that with CG anim- animation. Like you see, for example, um, like even in the Jungle Books um, animated and the John Favreau version, Bagheera has so has such a wide range of emotion in the 2D animated version, but in Favreau, he looks like a panther. He looks very stoic and you can't really do that much with CG without, you know, breaking that realism. No, I, I think we're all on the same page. We, I think we do, but actually I'm I'm more interested. What? I said, we're all going to see it. Like no matter what happens. But uh, Actually, HT, I want to go back to like uh, you, you seemed offended that I, I was saying the the younger generation uh, prefers 3D animation to 2D animation. It's something that bothers me. But do you think that's not true? Oh, okay. I thought you meant that um, p- older people in general don't see 2D animation see 2D animation as too childish. Oh, no, no, no. I think I, I think people of my age actually wish Disney was doing. Uh... Uh, hand-drawn animation still, but it seems like, you know, younger audiences look at it. I mean, the only place they see it now is on TV, so it's almost thought of as, like, a lesser form, even though that's not the case. Okay, I see. I misunderstood you then. I agree with you. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, You know, we we were talking about how this is kind of like, it looks like a shot-for-shot remake, but they, they have announced some interesting new casting, uh, for a new character. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, one of the biggest complaints I remember seeing when the trailer dropped was everyone was, certain people were just saying, you know, why are they making this a shot-for-shot remake? But this news apparently confirms that that's not the case. So Amy Sedaris, who is, uh, she does voice work on BoJack Horseman. She was on Strangers with Candy. She has a very long resume, is uh, playing a brand new character in the film uh, described as an elephant shrew, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. It's a, a tiny mammal that is native to Africa and known for its top speed. Uh, I've never heard of this animal before, but it ex- exists. And Amy Sedaris is providing the voice for it. So I think that alone proves that 
at the very least, there's going to be a few differences between the original and Favreau's version. Um, I'm not really sure how that's going to work because you know the, the original film is so packed with characters. I don't know how you're going to have room for someone new. So I guess it's going to be a minor part, but uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I, I, I don't think John Favreau would be doing this film if it was just a shot for shot remake. I think, I think if you look at Jungle Book, um, <laughs> I actually think he, he, he went out to try to make something that was different. And as the production of that film went on, he kind of got roped into like having songs and stuff that like he wasn't intending to have in that movie to make it more like the animated, uh, adaption of, uh, by Walt Disney studios. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I just think that it, it has to have more, right? I just, I'm under the belief that there has to be more than just like, you know, a shot for shot remake. Do you think I'm wrong? No. I think it's nice that you're, that you're optimistic, Peter. <laughs> okay. I, I think it'll be slightly different, but I also feel like the nostalgia factor all but guarantees that a, like 90% of the movie is going to be shot for shot. Do you think this sets an interesting precedent? Because I know obviously Jungle Book had a human character, so it was live action in a way, but this is this is essentially a CG remake of a two of a hand-drawn animated film. Do you think do you think Disney's just going to go through their entire library and just update all the classics with you know CG adaptations? I, I guess if they did like you know some of the stuff set in the human world, it would probably be more of a hybrid than a completely animated. Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> I mean they're probably in the process of doing that right now, not just for the feature films, but for their uh, Disney Plus streaming service because we yeah. know they're doing a Lady and the Tramp one, even though that's set like in the live action like the human world as well yeah. but i'm sure like so that'll some probably of the be done more of like a hybrid so that'd yeah. be like the smurfs or something like that um, yeah yeah ben any thoughts here i can't say peter i can't say anything <laughs> <laughs> wait you know about the future of disney animation oh uh no no but i <laughs> i don't want to give anything away about the potential of uh of what i may or may not know about how lion king handles its story so Tell me this, Ben. Uh, Are you more excited yeah. for this movie than you were two years ago? <laughs> um, I, I, I will say yes to that. I will say yes. Than I was two years ago. Yeah, I, I okay. am. Uh, trying not to break NDAs. Yeah, that's, that's about as far do. as I can go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have reached the end of today's slash home daily. HT, where can people find more of your work online? I'm every day at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at htranbuoy. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, I'm also at SlashLone.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 And Ben, where can we find you? You can find me at SlashLone.com. I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears. Where he won't be talking about The Lion King, ever. Correct. Not until 2019. <laughs> Not until 2019. Uh, you can find me at SlashLone on all social media. You can find uh, this podcast on SlashLone.com and iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify. Uh, please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashLone.com. Or if you need life advice from Chris, send it to that email address as well. We will be getting back to the mailbag when the news slows down later this week, hopefully. Uh, please go to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Write us like a few sentences. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.
Tell tell us stuff now that we're off the record. Yeah, what, what ben, are you tell now? Us oh, um, God, I, I'll have to actually dive back into my notes, but I just didn't want to say anything that they might uh, consider to be spoily. Um, I, um, they definitely go to. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be a lot of. Interesting.